Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. With an all-new episode of Keep It, I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Louis Jones-Streisand. I hope you enjoy my 1,795-page tome. Uh, I wrote it in beige and ochre ink to match my living room. Guys, the Barbara Streisand memoir is out. I cannot believe it. It's only 75 (laughs) years in the making or however long it's been. Uh, Lewis, when have you read that much ever? I honestly would love to know from myself. I want to interview myself, Edward R. Murrow style, and ask when I've ever had the ambitions to read like this. Sincerely, I'm reading fiction for the first time in ages, The Secret History by Donna Tartt. Loving it. Mm. Really exciting. That bitch. Yes, quite. Um, I am so slow at it. It totally takes me um, a long time to get through very clear writing uh, just because I'm so used to like reading things for trivia facts that I can, you know, spit out at parties and stuff. And when it's just mm-hmm. somebody describing a classroom for a page, I'm like, I can't do anything with this. Nobody's going to care. <laughs> so what's interesting about Donna Tartt is she went to college with Brett Easton Ellis. Um, there's this podcast called Once Upon a Time at Bentington College, which digs into the years that she, Brett, and Jonathan Lethem um, sort of went to school together. And the conceit is that a lot of their novels are sort of based on they're like romanoclefs right so right. it's piecing together what the school was like um by looking at their books and stuff but donna i actually have not finished the secret history <laughs> uh that you're you're now that you're actually reading it i'm gonna finish it um because i can't have lewis Fatal finish the book before i finish it that does seem um, very embarrassing for you yes you know doesn't it uh but what's interesting about him is I like him as an author because it's very, it's very almost Hemingway-ish too. It's it's not a lot of there's not a lot of describing a building or a classroom or something. It's just this person did this and we're moving it along. That's yeah. what I sort of need in literature or some sort of exciting prose. Because um, sometimes the description I can't even describe anything that well or that long. No, right. I mean, well, Brett Eisenhower just has a general kind of bastardliness in his writing. That's obviously addicting. So uh, that's fun. Donna Tartt, more classically um, prose-oriented, I'd say. But um, no, I'm enjoying it so far. And um, we will get into Barbara's gigantic tome next week. I mean, literally, like about 10 years ago or so, I interviewed her on a junket for the guilt trip. And she talked about writing -hmm. writing it then. I mean, this is so long in the making. She's also somebody who Mm -hmm. really likes reflecting on the past, I think. Like, she has her own sort of... I think it's hard to get um, 
I'll say vulnerable moments out of Barbara in an interview, but she's somebody who I think has a really good memory for like her incredible career. I'm obviously excited to reinvestigate it. I mean, I sincerely about Barbara Streisand, if her career only lasted from the time she made her debut on Broadway in I Can Get It For You Wholesale, which is 62, when she's like 19 years old, to before Funny Girl, the movie comes out, as in before she even gets to a movie career, she would still be a Kennedy Center honoree. I mean, it's just, it's crazy that she became that uh, um, legendary so fast before she even had all these other legs of her career where she became rock and roll Barbara or disco Barbara or became an incredible director. Uh, we just talked last week with Allison Williams about how there's this viral clip of her going around directing Mandy Patinkin and Yentl. Please watch that if you haven't. It's really exciting to see. Mm, I need multiple chapters on Meet the Parents and Meet the Fockers. Yeah, right. Wait, who convinced her? I'm very interested in who convinces Barbara to do things because she's so, what if I stayed in my Malibu home for the next 10 months and just did nothing, you know? so She's in The can, Little Fockers. Right. When the she's third in the, the trilogy. Yeah. Yes. People forget that's a trilogy. <laughs> Tolkien has not. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> Ben Stiller was really gacking the girls in the 2000s. Quite. Still it. I mean, Escape at Denimar. I mean, honestly, he's not quite can't yeah. miss, but pretty close On to camera, it. though. Yeah. On right. camera. Totally. You know? I, don't, I don't know if he's in Escape at Denimar because I'm never watching that. But right. I do believe that it's good from people that I've heard. <laughs> what a pop culture connoisseur you are. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Have you watched Escape at Denimar? So, no, I have not, I have to say. Yes. I, uh, even though we see? love Miss Arquette. Okay. We love Miss Arquette. Um, See, the the non-watching mirror has two faces, (laughs) Ira and Lewis. Oh, God. (laughs) Unfortunately, that was good. Unfortunately, that was good. One last thing that I'm looking forward to in this memoir. Uh, I just saw a CBS Sunday morning interview with Barbara Streisand. Of course, she does one of those. And uh, something she talks about is being extremely detail-oriented, as we all know about her. I hope she gets into the nitty-gritty about, like, some detail she couldn't let go of on the set of some movie. You know, like, how in the main event with Ryan O'Neal, she was just like, I think the boxing ring should be more cerulean and less sky blue, or whatever. I want to get into her fixations on aesthetics that she cannot let go of that seem to... Dict- like why she loves her house so much is because she's made every choice very specifically. That's why she lives in this mall, strange mall zone. So I hope we explore that mm-hmm. some more too. Oh, I mean, I hope she just talks about exploring every bit of how gorgeous Ryan O'Neill is. I thought you were going to say Andre Agassi, but okay. Yeah. Yes. Uh huh. You know, I mean, that's sort of the way we were sort of celebrity, right? Because Ryan O'Neill used to be that man and now i would and now if i saw him on the street guess where i'm walking the other way (laughs) if i saw him dying of thirst (laughs) i would let the vultures have their way with him (laughs) all right hope you're doing all right yeah this week we have got a return guest we have danny pellegrino coming back to the podcast to talk about his new book, his new memoir, um, Essays, uh, The Jolliest Bunch, Unhinged Holiday Stories. I want to say about Danny Pellegrino, I think he's the only guest we've ever had who is like an exact Venn diagram midsection between you and I. Like it's truly the Bravo world and then the like, uh, 90s like actress nostalgia, like both really combined. (sighs) The only thing I watch is Bravo. Right. No, you know know nothing else. Right. You're stupid. (laughs) 
Actually, I have been watching some other things, and we are going to bring back our What We've Been Watching segment. Ooh. So we can get into the things we've been watching that we haven't really brought up on the show yet. And we're also going to discuss the 10th anniversary of an iconic piece of pop culture, and that is Lady Gaga's Art Pop. And we will discover once and for all if people are actually nostalgic for this thing or if it just became kind of a meme that people repeated because saying the words art pop is so like on the nose pretentious. Like were people just enjoying themselves or did they really enjoy the album? We'll get into that. Well, it could mean anything. <laughs> That's what I mean. She said it herself. <laughs> all right. We will be right back with more Keep It. Shout out to the What A Day newsletter team who just hit 200,000 subscribers. The What A Day newsletter is a go-to source for the day's latest news sent straight to your inbox every night. If you're not already subscribed, head over to crooked.com slash daily. It is the 10th anniversary of the very polarizing Lady Gaga album, Art Pop. It's an album with bangers, ballads, and R. Kelly. Uh, not anymore, though. I went to listen to the album on Apple Music, and that song is gone. Absolutely. It's been replaced by the one with Xtina. Correct. Well, actually, no, not on this version. There was simply no Do What You Want at all. And yet, mm. also, the song with T.I. is there. Uh, not much of an improvement, I have to say. <laughs> well, to those of us who have art pop on um, physical media... Correct. I I have the original record. So I gave that one a spin before we decided to talk about it a decade later, where the album seems to finally be getting its flowers. But, Lewis, what do you think about this No Skips album? <laughs> Thank you for telling me the opinion I should be having before I begin <laughs> to express my... I think this is the odd case of an album where there's no one track that I think is what I would describe as bad or offensive or something I necessarily would skip. I think it's that there are too many kinds of one song in a row, and after a while, it can feel like a barrage of noise. So I think it's an mm. album that's hard to pick up again and again, necessarily, because... And I actually kind of had this problem with Born This Way, too. It's just a lot of production happening at you a lot of not that she's screaming but she is wailing throughout the album you know and i think she also yeah that a lot of that (laughs) she also reuses some themes too like on like donatella and fashion and stuff it's like all right we've kind of already done the tacky fame thing that she was obsessed with on her first two albums that had the word fame in it but Mm -hmm. at the same time i still think applause and yes do what you want are among her top five singles or top five songs which I would say include Poker Face and Just Dance. And I hate when people are dismissive of those two songs. The reason Lady Gaga is a star is because of Just Dance and Poker Face. Those are unimpeachable, fabulous singles. And then also in the top five, I would put um, So Happy I Could Die from the uh, Fame Monster. Oh, okay. Well, those are three perfect songs. Yeah. So you, I mean, Happy in the Club with a Bottle of Red Wine. Yes. Oh, the, the, the <laughs> kind of like, that's the first song I would describe as ketamine core. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It's also Bravo Mom Core. Yeah, so. right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yelling about why. Listen, this, this has bangers. When I'm talking about GUI as a single, that is a massive fucking pop song. Yeah. I think that chorus needs an extra something. That said, the way she sings it, the video is, of course, very memorable. 
Um, mm-hmm. But again, nothing is bad about the song. It's just, it's almost in a way like she had better songs before is all you can say. It, like, it's an album that looks worse compared to other things she's done, I think. I don't know. I would put this up there as one of her best albums after the fame monster, to be honest. I think that cohesively it tells a message. And yes, there's always the idea that she's obsessed with this fame and sort of, um, you know, what she's talking about um, in terms of how you view people, you know, how they killed um, Marilyn Monroe. There's actually supposed to be an song on this album called Princess Dies, which was about her and her mom's obsession with Princess Diana, too. Um, it ended up being replaced by the R. Kelly song, which is, whoo. But um, <laughs> that song, too, which is very weirdly about ownership of body, which is, is sort of cr- crazy considering what we knew about R. Kelly then, too. Yeah, right. Uh, and then crazy considering she also shot a music video for that, shot by Terry Richardson. Uh, <laughs> she was she was off her rocker at that moment, let's say. But... um. No, Donatella to me feels less about fashion and more about the resilience of this woman who has sort of held a crumbling empire together and her face has changed constantly. And we are looking up to her still as an icon and a star, even though she's sort of internally crumbled because of, you know, the death of her brother Gianni. Uh, And I feel like, you know, Gaga has this internal loss, et cetera. And fashion to me feels less about like, the actual, you know, fashion exclamation point. Uh, I feel like it's really just about sort of, you know, looking good and feeling fine when you're not feeling fine. Got it. Um, yes. Not uh, hands I also to heart. Th- there, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, look at you. I'm so over Look at you welling up over art pop. Um, <laughs> in Donatella, she does have that very funny verse about don't puke when you're walking the runway or whatever. Mm. I mean, like, the lyrics are very... Also, like her delivery is stone faced on all of these songs, generally speaking, even while she's wailing. So it's almost like you're feeling she's lost humor entirely, but the lyrics are funny. It's like she's less allowing herself and the audience to see a wink, whereas on the fame and the fame monster, it's like hardcore winking. You know what I mean? Just like it's very in the style of Kesha, who was popular right after that. You know, just like we're covered in glitter, we're wearing something ridiculous. I'm falling down in the gutter and I'm going to sleep in the gutter while dancing to pop music. You know, what's interesting about the album to me is the fact that it was very much maligned because it was a lot of noise. It it felt, it it was very EDM heavy too. And I feel like people were sort of tired of that. It reminds me a lot of, we've talked about hard candy before with Madonna, right? Mm -hmm. It was sort of what was happening in the sphere at the time. And people were like, well, this is just a rehash. And now years later, it holds up a bit more. And Madonna has actually talked about how much she loves that album because Pharrell had her and the Neptunes had her, you know, like pushing her voice and like pushing like sonically things that she would do differently um, than she ever had with any of her previous collaborators. And I feel like when you think about this album, and I think about this quote that Lady Gaga gave on it um, at the time of the release, how, you know, she was channeling Andy Warhol, but instead of putting pop onto the canvas, we wanted to put art onto the soup can. And I think she wanted to make the inaccessible accessible. Right. And and some of that occurs. Also, it must be said about this album, like, you know, we were talking before about how uh, Slater or Kim Petras or but maybe even Muna or something. There are all these artists right now who 
are making music that just sounds like what music sounds like in 2023. It's like all fits into the mm-hmm. same soup, to use a word you just used. Art pop and Lady Gaga in general, it must be said, have never been beholden to any trends. That's sort of an interesting mm-hmm. thing about her. Like when The Fame came out in 2008, 2009, we were not clamoring for hard pop banger things. You know, like that was pre-teenage dream. That's, you know, mm-hmm. like we did have kind of like pussycat dolls before then, but obviously we had just gone through a giant emo period. We'd just gone through, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, it was a very flow rider centric era, you know, like uh, hip hop and pop sort of melding uh, with, with rap in it. Um, so I feel like- She melded this- indie sleaze a bit, you yeah. know, because mm-hmm. when you think what you just mentioned, like hip hop and pop, like that, that was sort of the vibe, right? But- what the fuck else is, when you put it on now? What the fuck else sounds like beautiful, dirty, rich? No, right, exactly. It, 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 that also at the time felt like a very um, genuine extension of the life she had been living. The same way Madonna's first album feels like, oh, she just stepped right off the floor at Danceteria and put down this record. That felt like here I am, uh, a kind of mouthy, sarcastic cocaine-obsessed New York socialite e person who's like mm. at the club every night. And then I've turned that into the fame, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, so I feel like it, all her music stems from the life she is living and and music she really wants to hear, you know? She's not like someone like, I'll say Ariana Grande, who has said, oh, I don't even like my first couple albums anymore. Like Lady Gaga never went through that period, even though I think she she does have a song on the record about how she's sick of people saying they liked her when she did the fame as opposed to her later music. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to even think about the conversation around like it used to be the Gaga's pretentious, right? Yeah, you know, very very haughty, putting on these airs about what it means to be a pop star and who she's presenting. But now stripped away from the being in that time and being like a decade later, like it doesn't really feel like pretension. It feels like thank God someone was creating a singular identity for themselves. Yeah, right. No, it's just that's not really. Um, on the docket necessarily anymore. You know, it feels like all music is designed to be put into the same Spotify playlist so that there's not any pangs or um, vibes outside this very narrow uh, uh, lane people want to stay in. And Lady Gaga is Mm -hmm. like still singing at the top of her lungs or throwing in Mm -hmm. references that people don't necessarily know. You know what I mean? She's not somebody Mm -hmm. who's putting out a music video and the theme is Mean Girls because everybody's heard of it. I don't mean to be shading Ariana Grande (laughs) this hard. I really don't. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like I hate her. I don't. Yeah. (laughs) Are you friends with her ex-husband? Yeah. Is this a takedown? Yeah, that's right. I'm lobbying for, right. Who? Yeah. Me and Pete Davidson are on the same uh, group See, chat. No one even remembers her husband, ex-husband's name. Right. No. <laughs> She's moving on to the sponge. Uh, but speaking of Gaga, you know, screaming at the top of her lungs, which she's currently doing in a Rolling Stone song that I've heard once and will never again. Uh, <laughs> until she foisted on us at a concert, probably. But I will... Who am I kidding? That bitch doesn't like the tour. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never hear it again. Uh, I will say, lastly, about this album, a lot of people try to comfort the song Dope as a throwaway as we're skipping it but i think that also utilizes one thing gaga really does well when she is singing a song a ballad whatever 
what she does with her instrument is so fucking interesting and exciting. And I just find like the way that she sings the chorus, the way she goes into the verses, comes back out of them is so um, sonically interesting to me on that song. And I feel like she always tends to do that on a song. She's always giving you, she's always zigging when you think she's going to zag. And I think that that is what can make a song that would sound boring in the hands of anyone else just singing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I also think this album maybe contains her most touching song, which is Gypsy. Um, that mm. to me feels like a, a diary entry about what it's like to be Lady Gaga. Like she's this pop adventurer uh, going out into the world and you can hear the um, the debate between the thrill of being on your own and then weighing the loneliness of that too. I feel like that's something that comes through in, um, in her persona, generally speaking. Uh, so that's and a I mean, fabulous song. It shares that thematically with my favorite Fleetwood Mac song, which is where Stevie Nicks basically covers the same ground in Gypsy. Yes. Uh, the only thing I don't like about that song is at the beginning when she says, so I'm back to, to, to the Velvet the velvet Underground or whatever. And I never yeah. knew what that meant for the longest time. And it turns out the Velvet Underground is just a store where she would buy like moon pendants. And uh, I was like, I thought it was way more enigmatic than that. You're just talking about going to a fucking store. Okay. <laughs> you, you know when you read too far into a song and it turns out, oh, you just, you just totally don't get the reference. It's like, oh, you didn't know about... <laughs> You didn't know about um, marketing and integration in 1982? Yeah, right. No okay, that's how you had to do it. That was payola. <laughs> no, uh, uh, it, it's, as we tape this, it's Joni Mitchell's 80th birthday. And her in her song, California, uh, she, she's singing about longing to go back to California after, while she's you know on vacation in Europe, having, of course, a, a extremely exotic time, if you believe the uh, lyrics of Joni Mitchell. But anyway, she says in the song, I'll even kiss a sunset pig. And I kind of had an, a vision of it being like farmland California, you know, like I'll even kiss a dirty pig, you know, where I grew up in fucking the Redlands. I don't know where they might have pigs. No, a sunset pig is a cop. I did like yeah. I, I'm very late. I'm very late in this in this life to understanding that pig means cop. <laughs> Just like you know, I yeah. got that for I didn't know that that, but as soon as you said sunset pig, I figured cop. No, See, I was yeah. you, you didn't have to dodge the popo uh, okay. as a kid. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, back where I come from, the streets that I was raised on. This is so painful for me. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay, like you and you Joni. You know if you're gonna live with Joni. You and Joni. Yeah. She grew okay. up in Saskatchewan, and she would simply be ru- oh. out running the uh, the Rangers Baby. or whatever they were up there. The <laughs> Baby, when my sister when my sister was putting on, when my sister Joni Mitchell was putting on that black face, that oh was god. her real face. <laughs> uh, okay. Don Juan's reckless daughter. That was that, yeah. Don Don Juan my, being that's my kin folk. That's my skin folk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I'm Go so blue sorry. I have by to Joni Mitchell. <laughs> Go blue. Ah! <laughs> now blue lives matter. Now blue lives matter. Help. <laughs> Disease. Right, will, oh my God. We, we will be right back. We're gonna euthanize this one. <laughs> we'll be right back with Danny Pellegrino. Keep It is brought to you by Karyumas. Karyumas have been our go-to sneakers for a while now because they're really comfortable, go with everything, and they're made with consciously sourced materials. Lewis, what do you think about Karyumas? I 
sincerely now wear them all the time. I wear them at work and people come up to me and say they also wear them all the time. My mom now wears them all the time. There's a maelstrom of Karyuma going on. And it's not just around me. It's happening elsewhere. Last year, we collaborated with Karyuma to create No Step Back sneakers. And we can't believe they have now designed a second limited edition collaboration with us. The Love It or Leave It sneaker. The shoes have a colorful design with lots of Easter eggs. I mean, not Taylor Swift-level Easter eggs. We're not insane. Just fun stuff like pundit on a surfboard. Plus, a portion of the proceeds from every pair sold is donated to VSA's Every Last Vote Fund. Our first Karyuma collab sold out super fast, so if you want a pair for yourself or the Love It fan in your life, whoever the fuck that is, make sure to snag one now. <laughs> they make the perfect gift for the holiday season with free returns. Just head to crooked.com slash store. That's crooked.com slash store. You too can join Karyumania. There it is. That's what we wanted to hear. <laughs> Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis. Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand... That was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts.
Our guest today is exactly like his show, Iconic. He's a comedian, writer, host, New York Times bestselling author, and just overall hilarious and great. You know him from his podcast, Everything Iconic, and now he's back with his next book, The Jolliest Bunch, Unhinged Holiday Stories. Please welcome back to Keep It, Danny Pellegrino. Uh, Danny, it's always good to have you here. I love you, buddy. It's so good to see you. And Louis, so good to see you. I am so grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, what kind of stories can we expect from a memoir about your family and uh, Christmas, etc.? You're an Italian family. I imagine you're a spirited bunch. Yes. I mean, it's a lot of uh, Midwest, a lot of nostalgia, a lot of growing up in the 90s uh, in the book, The Jolly's Bunch. And I really wanted it to feel, I, I sort of described my first book as like National Lampoon's Vacation. And this one's like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Or, uh, you know, I love all those holiday movies that we watch a million times a year, like Home Alone or Christmas Story. And so I wanted the book to feel like that, where it's hopefully really, really, really funny. And then also has a little drama, a little heart, and some warmth in it as well. I, I keep giving this analogy, but um, the movie like Home Alone 1 or 2, it's got this cartoonish vibe, like really silly and funny. And then at the end, it hits you with that moment where Catherine O'Hara comes and meets uh, her son and sees him. And it's really like beautiful moment, heartfelt moment. So that was the kind of vibe I was going for with this. So a lot of unhinged family stories and then hopefully some stuff that is heartwarming too. Home Alone, I want to say, by the way, is the rare case of it is 100% zany, except the trick they pulled is they cast amazing actors. So then it turns into something better than it should be because everybody in it is like, you know, the the greatest comic actress ever or like an Academy Award winning uh, uh, Joe Pesci or whomever. Right, right. I know watching Joe Pesci in those movies try to not (laughs) swear and like just, I don't he's like making animal noises or something, but it's so good. I think that is also a plus of revisiting 90s comedies as an adult, right? You know, you're visiting um, Home Alone or you're watching Adam's Family Values and you're seeing movies that were ostensibly for kids, but they have legends in them. And when we were kids, we didn't know that. We're just seeing these very funny people, usually funny women, be very fucking funny. Uh, and a few men, too. You know, John yeah. Candy is fucking Every hysterical. Every once in a while. But, yeah, but now, you know, you watch these movies that are made for kids, and they have, like, I don't know who the fuck they put in them. No, but they are not. they're not giving you this. I feel like we were very spoiled. Well, and you mentioned Adam's Family Values. I just watched uh, those movies when I was traveling and they were playing in a hotel. And the way they light Angelica Houston's face throughout those movies is so brilliant. And it's like every time she's on screen, just her eyes are lit in a very unique way just for that character. And I feel like 90s movies in general had this zaniness or had weirdness and Um, Now everything's so built by committee that I think a lot of these scripts, I mean, you know, I know you're a writer too, but it's like the, when you're developing something so often, all that zaniness is taken out because it maybe is a little tonally different than the rest of the movie or, or it's, um, it doesn't fit with like what the market wants or is. And I look at any of those nineties movies, even something like first wives club, which is a favorite of mine, but I think of that when they're singing and I feel like that's the kind of moment that would get taken out of a script now because it doesn't necessarily fit with 
they're they're just doing a song and dance number in the movie. And it's like, I think oftentimes those weird zany moments that we love in the 90s are getting taken out of movies or I don't know, but I miss them. I miss the sort of craziness of those 90s things. First Wives Club is a particular case of it's interesting what's left in because it's kind of a longish movie and it has all these tentacles going all these directions. And you're like, I know Stockard Channing had more to do in the original version of this or, you know, uh, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, I'm sure, had another storyline or something. It's funny what ended up in the final cut of that film. Totally. So back to holidays, though, I I always associate you with 90s, 2000s nostalgia. You talk about it on your podcast. You had it in your first book. But what was the impetus for writing about Christmas, the holidays in general? And also, where what, what was the first time where like Christmas became culture for you? Because we all know when we discovered pop culture and we were like, we love this shit. But like, when was it where you were like, Christmas, that's for me? Well, I've always loved Christmas. I think my, I, I came from a family where my mom in particular always wanted to have that perfect holiday for the kids. So even when I was really young and we didn't have much money. My mom still did like everything she could to, to bake the cookies and to do all those kind of like traditions and, and make it as special as possible for my two older brothers and myself. And so I always loved it. I remember the moment that my older brother, actually, he got the Mariah Carey Merry Christmas album. I guess it was 94 when it came out, but I so vividly remember him getting that album and like me stealing it. And we would listen to it. My mom and I would listen to it driving to the mall in Northeast Ohio, like over and over again. And so I think she's now known as sort of the queen of Christmas, but I, I can so vividly remember getting that album and and just being blown away by it. But I've always loved the holidays. And when I was writing my first book, there were so many, I was loading it with these stories about growing up and family. And I noticed there were a lot of holiday stories because I think the holiday season is so filled with emotion and chaos and, and everybody's trying to keep it together. And obviously the more we all try to keep it together, the more those threads all fall apart. And so uh, I noticed there were so many of these stories. And so my dream when I wrote the first book was that I would be able to then write this one. And so I, I saved some of the stories uh, that I was writing for the first book in hopes that I would be able to do this. And and I love uh, David Sedaris has a holiday collection or um, there's a, mm. a, a book that the Christmas story is based on. That's like a, a collection of holiday family stories. And so I really, that was the dream of like being able to do that because I like picking up those books every year and rereading them. Mm. And uh, I hoped that was the dream of like putting this out and then hopefully throughout the years, people can pick it up and read a chapter or two and then, um, or reread some thing that they like from the book. And so that was always the dream, but I, I always love Christmas. I've had a holiday movie podcast for five years now that I do with my friend Jenna, where we recap a lot of like the TV Christmas movies and these big Christmas movies. And so I don't know, I've always just loved the holiday season. I, I do. I'm like really basic in that way, but I fucking love the twinkle lights, the the music, everything. Um, it must be said, you in general have a really awesome memory. I mean, the nature of your everything iconic podcast is you simply remembering things that we watched growing up that for some reason have fallen by the wayside for other people. I want to say I relate to you in this way. It's a gift and a curse, I yeah. feel. You know, trying to trying to uh, unearth all these memories again. That said, looking at like your book, there are so many stories in this. Do you have a particularly acute memory for just things that happened in your childhood? Because I imagine writing a book about like my entire life, I would be blown away at what I don't remember. 
Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is I, well, I've always kept journals and I've always journaled my whole Mm. life. So I have a lot of stuff with both of my books. I've been able to go back and read some stuff and, and certain memories that I remembered one way I'd go back and read uh, uh, entries from around that time and realize like they went a different way or even talking to different people who've been involved in these stories. uh, They've been sharing information about like, Oh, I, I remember this happened. But the funny thing about it is like, some of the stories I'll be writing and I'll think this seems so crazy. And then I'll hear from somebody who is involved in the story after they read it. And they're like, oh, but you forgot this fact or you forgot this crazy thing that happened. And I, so truth is always stranger than fiction. And I have also found that uh, I just got off a tour and I was meeting a lot of people who uh, read my first book and and started to read this one. And people have their own stories too, that are, seem so crazy. I, I, uh, did watch What Happens Live with Lisa Barlow from The Real House of Salt Lake City. And she was telling me backstage, I hope I'm not, I hope I can share this, but she was telling me about a Thanksgiving where her husband like got so mad that he threw a turkey or something. And and I just think everybody has those stories that that really, if you, they seem so cartoonish, <laughs> but they're, they're all, we all have them. That literally reminds me of one of my favorite holiday episodes of a television show ever, which was Beverly Hills 90210, and it is when Tiffany Amber Thiessen was leaving the show. Obviously, she'd been a troublemaker, and she had had her feud with Jenny Garth on the show. Kelly finds out that uh, Valerie had sort of been, like, abused when she was younger or something, and so she decides it's the holidays that she wants to forgive her, uh, and, like, I, let's not fight anymore because I found out something traumatic happened to you in your past. Whatever. Kelly was such a bitch. But anyway, <laughs> she goes over to Thanksgiving and brings a turkey to Valerie. And Valerie picks up the turkey and throws it out the door. Uh, Valerie and I've Malone. always loved defenestrating a turkey. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> Wait. Um, did you see that? Not to get us too off track here, but did you see that there was, like, a dinner and Bethany had posted, Bethany Frankel posted this picture and it was, and at the dinner was like the most crazy group of people I've ever seen. A lot of reality people were there, but then it was Jenny Garth and Tiffany Amber Thiessen. And they have like a, they were best friends and then had a feud and they were in this photo together. And I'm like, I need to know what was said between the two of them. Like the headlines were all about like the grouping of reality people, but I'm like, mm-hmm. I need to know what's going on with Tiffany Amber Thiessen and Jenny Garth here. Lewis and I know that Bethany famously loves to collect famous people. <laughs> she was on our show and list, I literally was like, God, are you surprised to be friends with so many celebrities? And then she, like, we didn't start the fire, went through a list of famous people. And it was just, we had to sit and clutch the table as she wrapped the names of everybody she knew. Well, I'm sure we could all trauma bond about uh, interviewing certain people. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Let's get that on the Patreon. Do we have one of those yet? Well, we can sell that episode. <laughs> Uh, as we said before, you obviously have an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, the pop culture of the 90s and 2000s. And I feel like when you're one of these people, you get caught up in like YouTube holes of old stuff that you find yourself revisiting or maybe watching for the first time if you're underfamiliar with certain pockets of pop culture history. What have you been uh, maybe obsessed with recently that's new to you? Oh, gosh. Well, maybe not new to me, but I, I do keep uh, Speaking the gospel of the Rosie O'Donnell YouTube channel because she course. uploads. She uploads. Didn't they like, remove full. shit? Recently? They did, but they put it back. They put it back. Okay. Oh, great okay. update! Thank you. Okay, yes, Thank they you. put it back, so we're all safe now. She's still uploading the full episodes there. I also fall in um, these rabbit holes of old commercials, so I am a huge fan of like uh, the YouTube channels that they'll post like a full '90s commercials or a commercial mm. block. Or you can, if you're interested in the holiday commercials, you could just type in like. 
holiday commercials from the 90s and I find them soothing, relaxing. And that's kind of like my my relaxing time is to like watch old Nerf commercials or something, which sounds crazy. But yeah, I, I love that. Or in general talk shows too. I, I'm just a huge talk show junkie from the 90s. So aside from Rosie, I love watching old clips of Regis and Kathy Lee or, or old Regis and Kelly. Uh, this sounds, this is going to make me sound really dark, but I recently saw like footage. This is going to make me sound crazy, but footage from like 9-11 that day and like how talk shows handled it. You know, I, mm. I found it very fascinating to see how the talk shows who were on air they were handling this thing. I mean, there's a, a clip of Regis and Kelly from that day. That is, it's an interesting sort of um, pocket of history that I, I had recently gotten to a YouTube rabbit hole on. Must be glad Wendy wasn't on air that day. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, do, I do miss Wendy so I much. I miss her so much, but that would have been, so the planes crashed today. Oh anyway, goodness. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Clap if you care. <laughs> Uh, I love the commercial thing, mostly because this is sort of like a lost thing now. I mean, except for Hulu, because I have Hulu with TV. And when I want to watch Housewives the night that it airs, I'm forced to watch the commercials. Uh, But commercials kind of suck on streaming now because you always get the same ones Mm -hmm. over and over again. One of the things I love the most when I used to VHS record a TV show because I was at theater or something at rehearsal or some other thing when I would get home and rewatch it. And then when you'd rewatch like an episode of Buffy years later, you would see the commercials happening like during the commercial break and that is so fun to me because you're seeing just sort of like this snapshot not just commercials that people have randomly collected but like the commercials that people were actually watching at that moment i rewatched the show glory days which was on the wb recently on youtube it was a kevin williamson tv show eddie cahill yeah, it was like one season. It was very stupid, but it was uh, um, <laughs> The Girl from Revenge. Um, oh, Emily Van Camp? Emily Van Camp. Emily Van Camp. Yeah, she was in it in a small role, and that sort of then led her to bigger stuff. But um, I was rewatching just like the pilot of Glory Days on YouTube, and the old commercials were in there, and it was fun being thrust back into 2003, seeing like, even remember the slogan, Make Seven Up Yours? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was make seven up yours, but then in the early 2000s, they were like, make seven up yours, because people started saying up yours as an insult <laughs> to people. That is a thing that was completely gone from my brain until I rewatched that commercial. It's a snapshot of the time, and you can go back and see like what products were popular, what brands were popular. Even uh, there, I, I got in a hole recently where I was seeing all the dot-com, like it was all the dot-com ads, and mm. it's like, we don't really get those anymore, but it was incredible to see at a certain point in time every ad was a .com, like pet.com and whatever. Uh, so that's incredible. And also YouTube is great. There are like performances, music, musical performances, particularly like holiday ones that I remember seeing as a teen and I didn't know if I'd ever see them again. And now you can go and watch the 2002 tree lighting from Rockefeller Center and see, I don't know, Ashley Tisdale doing like a, <laughs> a promiscuous version of Last Christmas. Uh, <laughs> Like, no, that's amazing. Uh, no, there was a, a point once upon a time where we never thought we would see these things again. Like, I, it, like to this day, I have this vision of Luciano Pavarotti and Vanessa Williams on SNL doing some sort of holiday performance. I'm like, that can't be real. But then, of course, it is. And you can uh, revisit that. <laughs> I want to say about commercials specifically, I think for me, those were the most important 
sort of conduit to get into the holiday season. Because one thing you looked forward to, even if you weren't buying anything, was going to a store and seeing everything set up for the holidays. And commercials got you sort of amped for that. So in a way, like Mm -hmm. that puts me in the spirit more than any episode of a TV show does, which feels a little bit more like, well, they have to do a holiday episode, you know? Just like the commercials really set the tone for me. The Hershey's Kiss commercial is one of the most flawless ads of all time. Like they've been able to reuse it for decades now. And every time I see it, I get in the holiday spirit. Just the, it's very simple. Just the Hershey kiss jingle bell, um, ad. It's so brilliant. It's like the Tootsie pop commercial that aired for 60 years of how many licks or I don't oh, know, yeah, um, the one, a two, a three. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or the Campbell's owl. soup has one that airs, I think still to this day where like the boy is eating soup and is a snowman mm-hmm. and then it melts. Uh, I mean, listen, it's not Christmas to me until I see Santa Claus and the M&M seeing each other and going, they do exist. He does yes. exist. <laughs> yes. I, I actually had the the voiceover artist, uh, Billy, I can't think of his last name at the moment, but I interviewed him. He did the voice of like Doug for Doug and he's done oh, all Billy these West. incredible voice. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Billy West. Uh, incredible. Bugs Bunny and Space Jam. And I was talking, I was so fascinated by that M&M commercial. I was, so I was talking to him about it on the show and I feel like I was probably the only one that cared, but I was like so fascinated that he recorded this Eminem commercial so many years ago, a couple lines, and then it airs every single year and pretty, uh, it airs a lot too. Like I, I don't even watch commercial TV. I, I watch stuff on streaming, but even I feel like I see that ad every year still. Uh, and how incredible to do something like that, that's timeless and is just like an Eminem commercial. How do we one day celebrate yeah. these voice actors who have done like 750 roles. Like the the woman who plays, she does a bunch of uh, Simpsons roles, but she plays Angelica's mom on Rugrats, Tress McNeil. That person has done literally a voice in almost any show you've ever seen. And we've not had like, a, like what's the Kennedy Center honors for that person? I, I We need something specific to recognize that these people are in our ears every year without exception. Yeah. And they're incredible. And I look at some of the stuff now and I wish, um, I know that networks and stuff, they want the big celebrity voices for the animated projects. And I think sometimes I they don't. Were, yeah. Right. I don't well, want to hear back it. voice actors. Well, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. Cause they're so talented at what they do. And I just wish like, let's let them do it. I know there's financial reasons and all that kind of stuff, but it's like, yeah, someone like Billy West or Tess or, uh, I mean, there's so many of these voice actors who have created these incredible voices. And now sometimes I watch things and I'm like, it's not memorable because it just feels like a, a celebrity doing their voice. And right. it, like, let's give us something. This shark is Issa Rae. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I can tell, you know? <laughs> and speaking of shark, I do blame Shark Tale for that whole thing. Because you remember that movie came out so many years ago and that was like the first time I remember where it was like, they were just shouting like, Angelina Jolie, Will Smith. And it's like, okay, well, I don't need them to be playing sharks in this. Like, what's, yeah. <laughs> like, I will say the only good thing to really come out of Shark Tale is- Car Wash. Car Wash. Well, yes, Car, Car Wash. Christina Aguilera, Missy, iconic, historic song. Is it streaming? It needs to be streaming. It's we a perfect it. song. But um, Martin Scorsese plays oh, yeah. Sykes in that film. And I'm like, Scorsese should do more voice acting. He's kind of yeah. great on his daughter's TikTok. So yeah. hire uh, him. Hire him for the next voiceover role. Help like, that's who we need. struggling VO artist. <laughs> Billy West and Martin Scorsese. That's who we need. Fox Danny, needs to get on the line. Thank you so much for being here again. And thank congrats you. on your book. The thank cover you. is so cute. And I have to imagine like 
shooting a cover for a book too is maybe you didn't know really what to do for your first one because it's just essays and you're just like, well, I'm posing and they'll pick something. But I feel like for this one, there's a Christmas tree, there's a ladder, there's the lights around you. Like it gave you something to do. Right. Yeah. It was based on, we found like a Norman Rock, the person who shot it was Stephen Buskin. He's an old friend of mine. We went to college, but uh, he together and he uh, found this image. It was like a Norman Rockwell painting. And so we really uh, went to recreate it and uh, do like our version of it. So luckily we had sort of a template and then, Mm -hmm. yeah, the first book I I shot the cover, like at the very early stages of COVID, like we couldn't have any hair and makeup people. It was like just me and the photographer. I was at my lowest. What's that tweet about Christina yeah, Aguilera? Fat, nasty, like was, and broke. Fat, yes, yes, right. uh-huh. Career in shambles. That's how I felt. You came on that book cover mad as hell. I got those photos back and I was like, these are all shit. And then, yeah, of course they, the whole thing, they wanted like a, the, one of those traditional like comedian memoirs where it's like a stool and whatever. Yeah, and so this one was like, way more fun. Yeah. You know, I know. I, uh, I was doing various wild poses with a finger up and shrugging, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It's so Pat. it was much, much easier to be in front of like a Christmas tree and know what you're doing. Great. But anyway, yeah, I hope people get the book. Please go buy it. There's an audiobook. I hate to beg your listeners to buy The Jolly Sponge, but buy it and you'll have a good time. Please. Got to move the merch. Uh-huh. We need people to buy the book. We need to, to buy it. To, to stop, stop talking about Brandy. it. Stop talking about it. If you like this podcast, we just gave you 40 minutes of entertainment. So go please support us by spending 25 bucks on the book. I know it's expensive, but we got to keep the lights on here. And while you're at it, uh, you know, you can uh, do, support all of us in any way you can. It'd be great. Even if you don't read it, just put it on your coffee table or something. Right. It looks cute. Yeah. yeah. Please put it by the tree. Give it as a gift. Anyway, I love you guys. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. All right, it's that time again. Lewis, obviously, there's plenty of things that we talk about on the show, and then there's things that we don't get to because you can't talk about fucking everything. Right, it's tough. What have you been watching that we haven't been able to talk about on the show yet? Okay, I finally just glimpsed at Fellow Travelers, which uh, has... Horny as hell. Quite. Oh my God, gay sex. <laughs> Did you know what it looks like? I. It's in broad daylight now. It's giving only fans. Yeah, Jesus okay? Christ. Please let me pay the $9.99. It's so fucking much. Um, but it stars uh, Matt Bomer and Jonathan Bailey as uh, two guys having a romance during the Lavender Scare. Uh, in, in the 1950s. And it also flashes forward to his life married to Allison Williams in the 80s. And so you're getting mm-hmm. a lot of This Is Us um, 
Rick Baker style makeup. You know what I mean? Uh, when they would put our girl Mandy in, I think, 14 hours of makeup every day so that she could look like, you know, basically Jane Curtin. Thank God she's free. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is us. This she's is got enough. the checks. Yeah. <laughs> she got the checks and now she's free yeah, to raise right. her kids. <laughs> and they are adorable. Um, they are so cute. Uh, but anyway... I am craving this kind of series because we're always talking about how we want uh, to see mm-hmm. gay romances that aren't like culminating in, and did you know AIDS happened? Or did you know that they both have internalized homophobia? Not that you're not getting that in this show, but this is a very um, Carol looking TV show. You know, you're getting yes. the, the spick and span Mad Men uh, gloss of the 1950s and the kind of sinisterness that we associate with that too. Um I'm, it's a spy element, yeah. you know, not not too heavy. It's not giving the Americans, although I would fucking gag for these two in a gay version of the Americans. Because first of all, Matt Bomer in um, White Collar was great. And yeah. Jonathan Bailey is basically already giving you Carrie Russell and Matthew Reese in the Americans in this. Because, girl, this wig he's wearing. Yeah. Is whoa. that his hair? It's giving wig. Yeah, I have a theory of everything about that wig, and it's not a good one. <laughs> the wig and the glasses, I'm just like, baby, you're ready to go poison some Russians. Yeah, right. No kidding. <laughs> I'm excited for this show because Matt Bomer, I think, is perfect for this show, and not just because he is the spitting image of the Don Draper type you expect to see on the show, but also you rarely get into, I don't know, the depths of Matt Bomer. He's good at having that kind of concealing... Um, what is going on in his head thing. And I think we haven't, uh, I mean, I'm not a white collar super fan as you are, but I, I'm excited to see what he does with a role that's this fraught. Yeah, and also, I mean, not to be all sentimental or anything, but you can't help but feel sort of like proud of him in this. Because totally, he's good. Right? He's good. And I remember, you know, the era where, did you ever expect to see Matt Bomer in things he came out and it was okay we're never gonna see that faggot again right 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 and we we but, enjoyed him of course and things like the boys in the band and stuff but to get yeah, finally to this of, point yeah yeah i think i think he's like one of the hardest working actors um just currently in hollywood right now and it's really nice to see him in continued roles that are um play to his strengths um, and showing that he's just a really fucking great actor. Also enjoying the dynamic between him and Allison Williams. We obviously couldn't talk about the project mm. last week because um, we're SAG members and we don't want to end up in jail or whatever. Because the studios want to use every dead person's likeness now. Yeah. That's currently <laughs> where we're at in the SAG strike, by the way. Um, but yeah, he is great. Allison Williams is great in it. There's a lot of great supporting characters in it, too. I loved the scene in the um, speakeasy. Yes. Um, Also, again, just visually stunning to look at. Almost maybe the flaw of the show is it seems like they spent maybe a little bit too much money on keeping everything so shiny to the point where you're almost jarred at how nostalgic looking the show is meant to be. But by the way, speaking of the 1950s and homosexual repression or whatever, I was just reacquainted with a story I had totally (laughs) forgotten about. Did you remember that Rooney Mara, or I'm sorry, I think it's Rooney Mara, actually. We say that incorrectly as a culture. 
refused repeatedly to be a part of Taylor Swift's squad because she's just a a private person or something. That story was thrown (laughs) in my feed recently. I have never (laughs) believed a rumor more. Can't you just picture her being like, God help me, please get this blonde woman away from me. (laughs) So so that's right. (laughs) Apparently Taylor was obsessed with her after seeing her in Carol or something, which is maybe one of the Mm. cooler things about Taylor Swift. That I concur with. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure the Gaylors are excited about that. You know what a Gaylor is? I am, well, they're, yeah, they're mentally ill people, right? What's going on there? <laughs> well, obviously. Uh, they're, you know, um, 13 flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they're the queer fan base of Taylor that has theories about her relationships with women, particularly like Carly Kloss and these people. So uh-huh. I'm sure there's a lot. I'm sure the message boards are heating up. Um, right. And they're sitting there in their adult you know, Disney costumes, typing away. Yeah. Okay. Uh, portrait of a message board on fire right now. So <laughs> they are uh, the fanfic about Rooney Mara right now. Can I also say that, speaking of Taylor, <laughs> did you notice that the um, Israel Twitter account, um, which oh, is... Good. Um, <laughs> Which is maybe the most psycho Twitter account outside of Joyce Carol Oates. Right. <laughs> there is a race so there. Yeah. That that gives that gives you sort of an idea into at Israel just tweeting things at people. Tweeting at Taylor about how there's been a missing um Israeli girl, which is, you know, very sad since the October seventh um Hamas massacre. Um who was a Swifty and they're making bracelets and that Taylor should post about it. Psychotic. Yeah. Why are you tweeting at a a U.S. pop star right now when you should be doing other things, but also extra crazy because at Israel, the actual account was busy doxing and threatening and harassing Taylor's actual friend, Gigi Hadid and her whole family literally weeks ago. I mean, the internet, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Here's where we are right, right. now. This is as Which grim is, as it can possibly get in terms of celebrity land. But to bring it back to the squad, do you remember that Selena Gomez last week in uh, maybe her 10th time this year um, said that she was going to take a break from <laughs> social media? <laughs> She's like your anti-Facebook being like, this, is, this time the break is for real. You won't see me. I'm going back into the, I'm making my pies. Get away from me. Because people asked her to speak out. And if you recall, she also got mad when people asked her to speak out about um, Black Lives Matter in 2020. And she was like, well, a post isn't going to do anything. And this time she was like, I'm going to stop posting. Whatever. To bring this back to the squad, Taylor was just recently on Sunday seen having dinner at Bond Street with um, Selena Gomez Mm -hmm. and Gigi. And let me tell you what happened on Monday. Selena Gomez signed that ceasefire letter. So, you know, Gigi came into this dinner and she was like, girl, let's have a chat. <laughs> and, and Taylor <laughs> sat there with arms folded like Marlon Brando in The Godfather and that, like yes, turned around yes, in her swivel yeah. chair and back. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, she was like, I'm not in it, but you need to sign it, Selena. <laughs> <laughs> they she don't just, expect me to. They expect right. you to, Selena. So <laughs> twirl that wand. <laughs> get to writing. Taylor just got um, another number one album with the Taylor's version of 1989, by the way. Did we not talk about that before? I guess we should say something no. about that. There aren't too many we? versions on this. I'm tired. On, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just not like, 
there's there's nothing about the 1989 album that I feel like really gains from being remade. It's like already electronic sounding anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can basically you can recreate it, and she still sounds like that. Like her voice still sounds like the that. Ja- so the Jack Antonoff songs sound fucking stellar. Mm-hmm. The recreations of the Max Martin stuff, eh? Yeah. By the way, Max you know, Martin, have we have we said this? This man is only 52 years old. He's been around for like a hundred years, like remixing, uh, doing like Robin and Old Britney and stuff. Well, he's like yeah. a wonder Ken. Again, I'm, I, I'm for the third time this episode, I'll say it. Kennedy Center honors when. Come on now. For Max Martin, absolutely. Please, let's. Um, that's a medley I'll see. About- that's a medley I'll watch. That's a problem they have at the Kennedy Center honors. <laughs> you know, like you give you give an award to Meryl Streep. It's like, what are we going to fucking watch? Like a Silkwood recreation? Okay, I would watch that, <laughs> but not everybody would. <laughs> A live Ricky and the Flash performance. Girl, I will be there. Please. I'll play Sebastian Stan. Yeah. You know what? The last thing I will say about Taylor is I'm always bringing up the one of my favorite restaurants in New York, Holiday Bar, which Selena used to go to all the time while she was filming Only Murders, and they have a drink there called the Selena Teeny. How am I at that restaurant all the fucking time? And the one fucking Thursday I'm not there, Taylor and the squad go in. What? Just, Just roll the up? sisters. Oh, how did she get away with is, that? This is giving the 1989 rollout is really. I love how for each era she sort of revisits that era because she's dating Travis Kelsey, a big celebrity right yeah, now, right. and also New York right now is. Anytime I step out, there's a chance I could run into the squad. Wow, oh wow, she's welcoming herself to New York again. Welcome back to New she's, York. She, a la she's at dinners, Jason. at like every fucking night. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jason versus Taylor, Taylor in the streets of Manhattan. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> Let's get Kelly Rowland up in that mix too. Yeah. Right. Oh my uh, God. She see, yes. As she sees Taylor Swift, what kind of lesbian walks around in a tattered cardigan? <laughs> <laughs> Bring me back attitudinal Kelly Rowland. What's that song she had where she was like really like dancing up on somebody what is that called not discipline motivation motivation i couldn't think of it yeah that's right yeah i mean she used to release a hobop every every year where is she right no i excuse me (laughs) on the red carpet of like the vh1 some sort of honors or something oh no no, it was the revamp of divas live in which they had people like Mm -hmm. natasha benningfield i'm sorry that's not a diva i'm sorry you guys missed you missed (laughs) but kelly Rowland was there and i said something it was like oh my god the dancing in the um, motivation video I was just like you really or, or I was like and the lose my breath video where you jump on that guy and she goes well let me tell you something there's nothing wrong with jumping on a guy I was like <laughs> the slut jumped Ally. out the slut jumped out <laughs> yes. Ally yeah um, I want to say lastly because uh, we, we started talking about the fucking squad yeah oops yeah. Um, <laughs> another fucking show I'm really enjoying right now and this won't surprise you is Gen V oh right which is the uh-huh. spinoff of the boys the boys is it's great it's giving too. The boys is fucking great. It's 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 rare that a show is geared towards, seemingly geared towards bros and men, right? Who love the internet, but it then it subverts what they're gonna get. It's one of those things where they'll love the boys, and then it's, wait, this is political. What are you talking about? Nazis are evil. Like when Stormfront was a villain in season two, and it's like, yeah. One thing about those tables, they turn. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's but your Gen favorite v, meme. That's your number one maybe, favorite meme, I think. Maybe. Maybe. It, 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 that and Whitney. 
Yeah, right. You know what? We need a Whitney meme renaissance. I haven't seen much of her lately on Twitter. And by the way, you know there's a pl- plenty we still haven't unearthed. I need people to start going through the AMAs. I need people to start going through like Merv Griffin show clips and finding more Whitney <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but um, Gen V is sort of the college version of the boys where there's a school called Godolkin University, which is just called God U for short. But the superhero... <laughs> college students go there and the idea is that the 10th highest ranked have the potential to become superheroes where they're fighting crime or they could be in the seven the superhero group from the boys uh but most of them are just using their powers to show products and sell merch etc like that's what their future is going to be or they're going to be on tv shows and stuff and so it's interesting because it's doing a lot of the same ideas about commercialization uh and that the boys gets into and sort of the glorification of war and shit like that. But it's doing it from a perspective of like, you know, Gen Z kids, you know, Gen, that's why I call it generation V. And, um, I think it's, it's really fun. It's, it's really fun. And it feels like a fresh take on the boys and the boys was obviously based on the Garth Ennis comic. And this, I believe is something fresh that was cooked up by, um, the producers. And I think it's just, it's a really good show. I think this is one of the best sort of things that Seth Rogen has been producing. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't love Pam and Tommy, but the boys and Gen V are really good. And I'm only halfway through the season so far, but um, I'm excited to watch more of that too. That and Fellow Travelers are really sort of scripted shows I'm enjoying right now. That and The Morning Show. It's nice to be back in the scripted because I yeah. feel like I took a break for a minute. I'm I, I will try to get more TV in, but we are ramping up for Oscar season. And I'm like, I just booked my the color purple screening. Um, <laughs> we still have to talk about Saltburn yet. We are not clear on when or why we can talk about Saltburn, but that will be an interesting conversation once that finally happens too. So much to look forward to this holiday season. I've seen Saltburn. I've seen Poor Things. Um, I have seen, not seen Poor um, Things. Excuse me. How has every fucking faggot seen Poor Things? That is the fucking movie of the year. I'm Lewis. I'm Lewis. Me. Lewis. <laughs> I'll see these people on Twitter who have not heard a fucking movie in their fucking life. They couldn't. They don't know what the favorite is. They don't. Yorgos Lanthimos. They ain't spelling that. I'm over here not seeing the film. The way that I want to give Emma the Oscar again. I, she's so fucking good. She does kind of feel like a two Oscars winner person. Yeah. Except Lily Gladstone is submitting for Best Actress, not supporting. As she should. The, the The problem with that role is the last hour of the movie, it's not that she disappears, but she's not really giving acting the way like an Academy Award winner gives acting. Like if you see the movie, you'll see. But um, it does feel like she's still the front runner. Also, Annette Benning and Nyad, I think it's going to be a powerful movie that people connect with. That's all I'm saying. I agree. She really dropped out of the last bit of the film, but I feel like coming out of it, she's the thing that people are talking about the most and what is driving the conversation around the film. So I think that might help too. But we always know what happens when we get into awards season, seeing what drops out, what what comes back up, etc. So it'll be fun. No, it's always interesting to realize what drops out of a conversation that seemed like a sure thing at first. And I have to tell you, after all these years, I cannot predict it. It always is no. very strange to me. And then, But then in retrospect, always feels kind of inevitable, too. So we'll, of course, get into mm-hmm. that as it occurs. Yeah, but Poor Things right now, for me, is my only close to five stars film Oof. of the year. Oh. Near perfect for me. Oof. Okay, got me excited. Uh-huh. All right, when we're back, keep it. And we are back for our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Lewis, what is yours? 
this is a half keep it because I'm still excited for this thing, but now there's an asterisk on it. So as you know, Kylie Minogue, uh, her residency just opened in Las Vegas. We've never brought up this person on the podcast before. This is her debut right here. Kylie Minogue, welcome to keep it. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing her in this. You know what, Lewis? Huh? You did not mention Madonna once last week. It's never been done. You know I'm experimental over here. I love trying new things. You brought her up this week. It wasn't even me. Um, so anyway, Kylie's going to Vegas soon. I'll be seeing her in December. Very excited about it. Except for the fact that, one, I'm obviously avoiding the set list. Please don't show me the set list. Don't tweet at me the set list. Whatever. I'm sort of weirded out to realize that the show starring Kylie itself is actually only 75 minutes long and she comes on at 11 p.m. after a long sort of burlesque circus type show. Now, okay, I get it. It's Las Vegas. You want to see some spectacle. Tassels are a part of the whole thing. You know, people like riving through a hula hoop is something you have to watch if you're in Las Vegas. Um, But at the same time, if I'm paying to see a Kylie Minogue show and Kylie Minogue's only doing 75 minutes, I don't think she was square with us from the jump. And I'm I'm <laughs> I'm realizing now, and by the way, this is something I became hip to because I was getting my haircut last week and the guy, Damien, who cuts my hair, was saying, did you know that the star of the Kylie Minogue show she's doing is actually interchangeable and Christina Aguilera will be doing the exact same show replacing Kylie Minogue? And apparently there's rumors about who will be doing next. But the point of the show is, it's a standalone show that they then insert a star into and let them do their songs and sort of choreograph the, the, the pre-existing mm. choreography sort of wraps around these artists. Um, so anyway, that's not the same thing as, you know, here's Adele with all her fucking songs. You know, there's like something right. kind of strange going on here. And as my friend Jan pointed out, when he was buying the tickets for this show, it says the star of the show is not guaranteed to be there. What? I was weirded out myself. No, he's like a, a pop music detective. He always finds out things like this. So just to let you know, oh. something kind of interesting is going on here. Uh, uh, so she was going to cancel. She might cancel. <laughs> That's a reference to a song from Kiss Me Once. Wow. She's scamming. I guess. I mean, like, it would kind of be a scam alone if she were only performing for 75 minutes. But then this other. Also, you know what? I just do not need to see Cirque du Soleil shit ever again in my life. I just don't need to see somebody in like a onesie wrapping around silks and then they're in the air and I have to worry that they're going to fall because sometimes we've all seen those flying Walenda videos where the person fucking dies. I'm sorry. I just don't want to see that again. It's giving. We got pink at home. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This is this sounds like pink is waiting to do it. That sounds like who belongs here. Yes. Do you know how I know who the Flying Walendas are? Oh, uh, I feel like some 70s cartoon is about to come into play. So, thanks to the old writers on Days of Our Lives, Mm. (laughs) sometimes there's a random phrase or occurrence that will always um, pop up on the show, like, over the years. Like, when someone is, uh, like, someone will always tell someone that they're, like, crowing about something yeah or uh they love using the phrase um welcome to my parlor said the spider to the fly <laughs> having a character say that it's like when you watch a woody allen movie and every third person says the word terrific who are these people yeah. yes <laughs> but there was a long period of the show where <laughs> random characters were saying i don't give a flying walinda about what she wants <laughs> That's giving like <laughs> Batman cartoon series type. 
<laughs> Holy Walenda's Walenda for the word fuck yeah. is hilarious to me. A flying Walenda. <laughs> wow, that is very cute. Anyway, Kylie Minogue, obviously thrilled to see your show. I will be screaming alongside... I think gays from every part of the galaxy. I do think everybody's flying in for the show. I'm going to meet a lot of people from like Croatia or something at this show. I'm I'm almost certain. Um, it's gay global guts. Yeah. Oh my god. And and she is the glowing piece of the aggro crag we're all claw- clawing for. Back to you, Mo. <laughs> More quirk. Come on, keep it. Where are you been? You still refereeing things? Let's let's get all the let's get all the Nickelodeon um divas on. Where where's Linda Ellerby? Yeah, Miss Summer Sanders, I'm ready. Ira, what is your keep it this week? Now my keep it is BravoCon related. Okay. But it is about a debate that has been occurring that has been occurring online. So um Agent Queen Jeff Lewis, I think you know of him <laughs> from the um real estate shows that were on bravo yes flipping out yes flipping out so he was on a panel with andy cohen at BravoCon, where he referred to the season premiere of the real housewives of beverly hills and he made a dig at one of the cast members crystal minkoff uh you might know crystal minkoff's husband rob minkoff who directed the lion king the original got it uh, so he talked about the fact that she wasn't really in that episode. There was a lot of ground to cover, but he said, I think Crystal had about one minute of screen time in the episode, and it's the best episode Crystal's ever been in. Okay. A little rude. To which she responded on the carpet at BravoCon with, um, yes, I texted him and he apologized for it, but I said, it's fine. He's just a cocksucker. <laughs> You never hear cocksucker anymore. (laughs) Aside from Tiffany Pollard, we got to get into that. Yeah. And then she said, you know, his problem is he really wants to be a housewife, but he'll never be one. Of course. I think that's just true, right? He certainly acted the part of one on that show. So now you can imagine that this led to discourse from people writing things like, to those defending Crystal's pejorative use of a homophobic slur that's commonly used violently, I'm sure Matthew Shepard heard that slur Help several times in his final moments. Is that what he heard? To normalize its use as an insult by straight people is deplorable. First of all, cocksucker is a hilarious insult. Yes. Two, no one hate criming you is going to call you a cocksucker while they are beating the life out of your body. Because let me tell you something. Cocksucker does not roll off the tongue like faggot. Yeah, right. It's two That's syllables. That's why we invented that word. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Clicker. Cocksucker is, there's art to that word. It's three syllables. That is why you hear it. That Cocksucker is 90s mob movie. I was going to say, it's mafiosos okay? talking to each other. Yes. I'm not saying it's like <laughs> okay? pro-gay language or anything, but I am saying like, Lay up. Also, it's like you don't need to fucking bring up Matthew Shepard to in, to validate your fucking argument. It's like tacky as hell. And even if you weren't bringing him up, I'm sorry. I'm just not going to be offended by that word or by a cis woman saying it. It's ludicrous. It's an insult. It's a funny insult. It's not really one that I feel attacked by i would also just say I watching just, her say it it's it seems like she has gay friends and it's just like something you would say like oh that cocksucker you know what i mean like the way we right. would say that faggot or whatever yeah bring it back 
Right. It's in, no. Well, I mean, it was sort of brought back in that Tiffany Pollard clip where she's on House <laughs> of Villains and she's looking at Omarosa. And I guess Jeff or Joel McHale gives her a moment to say something. And she says, excuse me, Omarosa, you're a what are the exact words? You're a cocksucking, cum guzzling Republican cunt. Um, yes. Now, let me say something. The woman is very funny. And the way she just says it, stone faced to Omarosa, who is speechless for once. Thank God. For that alone, (laughs) Tiffany Uh, Pollard deserves the Nobel Prize. I will say. And I'm happier. And I sleep better knowing you're not in the White House. Okay, but that's where I believe she flopped. Because nobody was losing sleep because Omarosa was in the White House. In fact, she should have made fun of that. The fact that Omarosa had a desk in the White House so that Trump could, what, pretended he knew a black woman. The fact that she did that (laughs) makes her the patsy of all time. I wasn't worried she wasn't going to, like, sign bills into law or whatever. Um, (laughs) Well, you never know. Yeah, Yeah, up is down over there. Actually, she has a bunch of government secrets in her apartment. Okay, yeah, right. And her Mar-a-Lago should be raided sometime (laughs) soon. But yeah, I I felt like she almost had an A-plus moment, but it started as an A-plus, then wandered into B-minus. And I will say, now I'm wandering away from caring about House of Villains, because New York was uh, voted out in that episode. Uh, So why am I still watching? I call this Miss Vangie syndrome. You know, you have the person right. do the interesting thing, and then they go immediately, and now it's like, wait, what are we doing? I was, I was all excited like, for that. I don't need to watch Johnny Bananas on another competition show. I'm sorry. When you say the word Johnny Bananas, I am immediately fatigued. I just, like, I have to sink <laughs> into the couch. Johnny Bananas, still out here being bananas. I'm going Johnny Bananas. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my favorite, yeah, uh, Dick Tracy soundtrack, uh, yeah, B-side. <laughs> All right, this was an episode. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Thank you, too. I learned a lot, and hopefully I'll forget <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Thank you to our fans, who uh, I hope you still give a flying Walinda about <laughs> us after this week. Uh, <laughs> Thank you to Danny Pellegrino for being here, and uh, we will see you next week with more Keep It. And Friday, I have another bonus Keep It Real episode with Danny Joining me again uh, to recap what happened at BravoCon, and then I interview the Countess Luann herself. Oh my God. I'll tune in and tremble. I'm trembling already. <laughs> you know, we did a duet. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroote and David Tolls for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience.